I felt like all of me was exposed and hung out to dry the creepy crawlies from inside my belly. Hey there! If you believe in God and aren't really sure what to do with that belief, or if you personally know Jesus and want a deeper relationship with Him, then this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Middleton, and welcome to the BookCast. Welcome to Chapter 4. If you've listened to the other chapters, I want to thank you for joining me on this identity journey. And if today is your first time with us, let me tell you a little bit about how it got started. When I first felt God call me to write a book, I also felt like he gave me the idea to publish it only as an audiobook. So now you are part of one of the first books to be released as a podcast, a book called The Truest Thing. In Chapter 3, I briefly mentioned forgiving a male family member who had abused me. Over the next two chapters, I will share my experience with abuse and unforgiveness and the impact it has had on how I see myself. While I avoid overly graphic descriptions of the relatively small amount of sexual abuse I experienced, I do talk about what happened. With that in mind, this chapter may not suit young listeners. I also want to give you another kind of heads up. If you are someone who has a history of sexual abuse, please note that this chapter could be triggering. If abuse is in your past, but you have a strong support system, such as a counselor, recovery sponsor, or strong mentor, and if you feel prepared to listen, then I trust your judgment in what's best for your own recovery. However, if any part of my story feels overwhelming, please feel free to take a break and possibly skip this chapter altogether and go straight into chapter 5. That has less of my experience with abuse. Yes, I firmly believe in letting God stir up the junk at the bottom of our hearts, but the last thing I want to do is bring up a painful experience that you might not be ready to deal with. If you find that these next two chapters bring up unresolved past trauma, anxiety, depression, or distress in any way, please seek professional guidance right away. Last thing about the next two chapters, this is not coming from a place of revenge, but of forgiveness and prayer. I do not write these chapters so that you think poorly of this person or my family. Instead, I hope you will hear my story and interact with the healing that I have come to experience. I pray that God will eventually restore my relationship with this family member once it is safe to do so. But until then, I get to work on myself and continue to turn to Jesus for healing. I get to grow and continually learn what it looks like to live out of my identity. The Truest Thing From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 14 For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Chapter 4 Forgiving the Unforgivable I remember how it started. A kiss in the back of a darkened car. While pitch black in the car, the light from the nearby building made it feel like there was a spotlight on me. I felt like all of me was exposed and hung out to dry the creepy crawlies from inside my belly. I knew that we couldn't be seen, but felt like we were not hidden. My young mind couldn't comprehend what was happening to me, so despite the pit in my stomach, 
I remained silent about that invasive kiss. Anything before the age of ten is a blur of indistinct memories. What little I do remember seems disjointed, sporadic, and hard to place on the timeline of my life. Because of this, it's very difficult for me to know how old I was in the few memories that I do have. For any specific childhood memory, it feels like I could have been four years old, or I could have been nine. The truth is that I really don't know. So when I say that I don't know how old I was when the abuse started, that is because I truly have no idea. But I remember how it started. Just one kiss from a male family member in the back seat of a darkened vehicle. I had hoped that it was just that one time, but as the frequency and intensity of their attempts to kiss me and gain access to my body grew, and as the line of sexual abuse came closer, I became increasingly uncomfortable and the feeling of shame flooded my heart. This male family member began to manipulate situations to try to coerce me to open my body to him. I don't remember how long this lasted. It could have been a month or a year. Again, timelines are fuzzy from my childhood. But all I remember was that growing feeling of wrong inside my stomach. Thankfully, before much more of my body was involved, and by pure grace, the sexual abuse ended. I count myself incredibly blessed when thinking back about how it could have been much worse. Operating under nothing but the pure grace of God, I mustered up the courage to tell this person no. At first, he did not accept it and continued to try to use my body. But the Lord gave me strength to continue to say no, and the male family member finally listened. The physical aspect of our relationship ended. But unfortunately, this is when the emotional and mental abuse began. Kiss, kiss. The mental abuse that followed the relatively small bit of sexual abuse was much worse than the actual things that occurred. The control that this family member had over me began immediately. If I didn't do or say the right thing, he would threaten to tell my mom what I had done. For a child who rarely got in trouble, this was enough of a reason to stay silent. I didn't want to break the perfect kid image that I tried so hard to show. I didn't want her to know how I had messed up and let this person kiss and touch me. That was enough to keep me quiet about what happened. And because of that, this family member now had something to use in order to manipulate and blackmail me. If I wanted something that opposed his wishes, all he would have to say would be kiss, kiss. Once I heard him say that, I knew that it meant if I didn't stand down and back off, then he would tell my mom about what I had done. I remember once trying to tell my mom about what was happening. I remember testing the waters to see if I could open up and tell her. It didn't go well. I caught her on an off day, on a day when the weight of life in a broken world weighed heavy on her. She responded in what I perceived as frustration and anger towards me. So I didn't tell her what was going on, out of fear that she would get upset with me. 
that instance shut down all other attempts to tell her about the control and manipulation I was experiencing. So instead, the mental manipulation and abuse of Kiss Kiss lasted for what seemed like years. Again, because I don't remember much of my childhood, I can't say how long this blackmail actually took place for. All I know is that this phrase, kiss kiss, characterized several situations while I was growing up. Kiss kiss seemed to control all areas of my life and heap mounds of shame onto my overburdened young heart. To this day, that phrase still stirs deep feelings of shame as if I have to hide what happened, as if it was my fault. Even as I write this today, the enemy still tries to whisper in my ear that I should keep this quiet. He whispers that if people know about Kiss Kiss, then I will not be accepted. Just like when I was a child, Satan lies and tells me that it was my fault and that I should hide that part of my life away and never talk about it ever again. But then, I hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit say, I have healed you, and my heart relaxes. I hear the breath of God remind my heart that he has brought me through this and that he will get the glory for it. I hear his truth say that it was not my fault when I was a child, and I have nothing to hide. So because of that whisper, I continue to write. I did not always listen to the Holy Spirit as I do now. There have been many times that I ignored the Holy Spirit's still, small voice, and I defiantly chose to do my own thing. This has cost me greatly. Many times I have chosen to disregard the promptings of the Lord, but there is one specific instance that I wish I could do over and choose differently. I wish with all my heart that I would have chosen forgiveness. My unforgiveness. No, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I cried into the phone. Door shut and blankets drawn up to my chin, I stared at the wall while balancing my red sliding phone on my cheek. Silently weeping, my hard heart told my boyfriend on the other end of that call that I didn't have to listen to him. You haven't been through what I have, so you don't get to tell me what to do, I said unapologetically. I knew in my spirit that I should listen to him, but the pain and hurt shouted louder than both his voice and the voice inside my heart. I chose to ignore the advice of my boyfriend and ignore the still small whisper. Instead, I listened to the hurt and pain that screamed in my ears and reverberated around in my head. It had been years that I allowed bitterness to stain my heart and tear at my mind. Years of carrying around this secret of kiss-kiss that no one knew about. Now a high school graduate, I had kept this childhood secret of shame locked away in my heart. Until I trusted my boyfriend, now husband, enough to open up and tell him about the deepest hurt in my life. After listening, my boyfriend had the audacity to tell me that I needed to forgive him. No, I won't do it, I said again, defying my closest confidant and the whisper inside my soul. I stood firm in my resolve, reasoning that he didn't deserve my forgiveness, not after what he did to me. 
I felt justified in my anger. I felt like it was the right thing to do, especially since he had never even apologized. I didn't realize it at that time, but a root of bitterness and unforgiveness had started growing in my heart. This weed grew to poison my spirit and skew my perspective on who I was in Christ. I didn't realize it at the time, but this unforgiveness towards that family member would cost both of us a great deal. A few weeks after the conversation with my boyfriend where I chose unforgiveness, the family member who had hurt me asked to take a walk. Just us two so that we could talk. About what? I didn't know. But I agreed out of obligation to not look suspicious in front of family. Deep silence hung in the air as we started out towards the stop sign at the end of the street. The awkward moments drug on as well as our pace. When he finally spoke, it blindsided me to hear him say that he wanted to be friends and become close again. You see, after he stopped using the words kiss-kiss, my mind repressed the memories of abuse and manipulation, and we grew to become close friends. But eventually, I remembered the abuse and manipulation and realized what it was. I then allowed resentment to grow in my heart, and that caused us to drift apart, to the point of barely speaking to each other. My feet kept pace with his, but my mind was left behind at his first sentence. Speechless, I tried to listen as he expressed his desire to repair our friendship. My ears didn't detect any malice or ill will in his voice. But could I trust him? As I listened, I felt the nudge from the Holy Spirit again. The nudge to forgive. This was my opportunity. I now had a choice. I could forgive him right then and there and move on to try to repair our friendship. Or I could throw back in his face the years of abuse that I endured at his hand. I could get him back. He was asking for my friendship, and I could reject him. I could hurt him because he hurt me. When it was my turn to talk, and my silence no longer appropriate, only two words came to mind and flew out of my mouth. Kiss, kiss. I didn't think you remembered that, he muttered as he stared at the ground. Silence hung in the now permanent tension between us. The bitterness that I held in my heart came bursting forth when the time for reconciliation came. I didn't know it then, but my choice to hold on to hurt and anger left things between this family member and I worse than I could have imagined. This family member's mental health declined rapidly after that conversation, and he became a completely different person. Bitter, angry, and oppressed by the enemy of our souls. For a long time, I felt responsible for his mental health state, and it has taken me years of healing and intentional growth, but I no longer hold myself responsible for his mental health decline. The blame for that rests on the shoulders of the enemy alone. 
I am responsible, however, for my outright disobedience to God when I knew for certain he told me to forgive. God could have used me to show his love, but instead I chose bitterness. Perhaps it would not have made a difference, but it was still wrong of me. This male family member eventually stopped talking to me entirely. Now, when I see him, he refuses to acknowledge that I am even in the room. I try to speak to him, but he says nothing back and refuses to look at me. Family tells me that alluding to suicide is common for him. He is one of the most intelligent people I know, but he currently lives in a life of despair. I believe that God has restoration and abundance for him. I believe that Jesus will bring forth healing and life to him. But until that time, I get to stand on the sidelines to watch and pray. In looking back, I see how my unforgiveness harmed my relationship with this person permanently. But that was not the only relationship that suffered from my choice of bitterness. My unforgiveness hadn't just affected my relationship with this family member, but it also blocked my relationship with God. Unforgiveness and Identity Few things block our relationship with God more than unforgiveness. In the previous chapter, we saw how pride can undermine our relationship with God and how that can affect how we see ourselves in Him. But when talking about unforgiveness, the stakes are much higher. Unforgiveness doesn't just undermine and affect our relationship with God. I believe that holding on to unforgiveness can block our relationship with God entirely. We opened this chapter with Matthew 6.14 that says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. I want to now look at the very next verse that says, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's think about that for a moment. Jesus said that if we do not forgive others, God will not forgive us. What does that mean for our relationship with Him? What are the ramifications of not being forgiven? I want to explore that idea of what living in that state does to our relationship with God and how that affects our identity in Him. Permanent Sunscreen When it comes to being close with God, we cannot be in an unforgiven state and be in the presence of a holy and pure God. If we were able to walk into the presence of God while holding unforgiveness in our hearts, we would not be able to withstand His glory. Not because God is angry and wants to smite us, but because God is so pure and so holy and set apart from all others that if anything unholy were to enter into His presence, it would burn up in the light of His goodness. We actually see this idea in the Bible. God wanted to be close with the Israelites, but their sin put them at risk while in God's presence. So the whole book of Leviticus is about how a sinful nation can be close with and live in the presence of God 
their sins atoned for. Now we can live in the presence of the Lord in a much more intimate way than the Israelites. However, if we carry around a part of darkness, like unforgiveness, we cannot be in the presence of God because God himself is light. Think of it this way. If something gets too close to the sun without proper protection, it will burn up completely. Not because the sun is evil or bad or angry, but because the sun is pure light, pure energy, it is dangerous to be closely exposed to it without the proper protection. We experience this when we sit outside on a hot summer day without sunscreen on. We don't say that the sun is evil or angry for giving us a sunburn. We don't blame the sun for burning us. Instead, we blame ourselves and how we didn't take precautions to be in the presence of such a powerful light. In the same way, we take precautions when we want to live in the presence of God. Jesus provided a way. His blood washes over us and acts as a permanent kind of sunscreen. Because of who Jesus is, we can live in the presence of God's pure light without being harmed. We get to bask in the presence of a close and intimate God because Jesus has covered us with his blood. Because of our new identity in Christ, we are now able to live in full sun without fear of getting burnt. So, how does unforgiveness play a part in this? What happens when we hold on to unforgiveness? That's when the thick clouds roll in and our hearts can no longer see the light of God's goodness. God still loves us with an intense passion. We are still his children and he still wants the best for us and wants to shine his light on our lives. But if we are careless with our hearts and let unforgiveness set in, then I think we allow unpenetrable clouds to roll in and obscure our view of God. When we don't walk in our forgiven identity in Christ, when we don't live out of the reality that we ourselves are forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus, then our relationship with God is blocked and we lose access to His presence. When offenses build up in our hearts and bitterness takes root, it clouds our view of God and blocks us from receiving life-giving light from Him. This topic of unforgiveness blocking our relationship with God came up in a conversation that a good friend of ours had while talking with God. Our friend Brian, while in the process of preparing a devotional for our church's Facebook page, encountered God in a tangible way and received a deep revelation about unforgiveness and how it affects our relationship with Him. At the end of this chapter, I've listed the link to Brian's original devotional because I think it was so powerful. I asked Brian if I could share the conversation he had with God in this chapter since I found it so enlightening. Here is what God shared with him about unforgiveness and how it blocks our access to him. A Conversation with God 
Brian stared straight out the windshield, his mind buzzing with the preparation for leading a devotional for our church. Long drives often bring him an opportunity and time to think and process, and this was one of those days. Thinking over the topic of forgiveness for his devotional, Brian couldn't shake the nagging question of why. He knew that unforgiveness builds a barrier between us and healing, between us and the healer, but he wanted to know why. Brian had experienced this truth and seen the spiritual breakthrough that comes with forgiveness, but he wanted to know the why behind it. Shifting his weight in the driver's seat of his van and feeling the weight of this topic, Brian asked, Lord, why does unforgiveness build a barrier between myself and healing? In that moment, Brian's heart heard the voice of the Lord. God brought questions and truth statements to his mind to reveal a surprising and almost perplexing answer to the question of why. Brian heard the still, small voice of the Father whisper to his heart a question. Do you believe I created everyone in my image? Do you believe I truly love everyone with an unending love? Brian automatically replied, Yes, and yes. The Lord followed up with more questions. Do I make mistakes? Did I make a mistake by creating the person you won't forgive? Brian chuckled nervously. Swallowing the lump in the back of his throat, he said, Of course you don't make mistakes. Brian's mind raced as he tried to figure out where this was going. But once he was still enough to listen again, he heard God continue. Then why would you judge your fellow sibling unworthy of love? When you make a judgment of unforgiveness towards someone, you are actually saying that they are unworthy of your love and, by extension, unworthy of my love, too. You don't have the power to do that, Brian. Caught off guard, he gripped the steering wheel, feeling the weight of those words. Still a bit confused, he said, Okay, God, that's fair, but I still don't understand what that has to do with my healing and unforgiveness. What God said to Brian next shook him to his core. God clearly and gently spoke to Brian's heart this truth. When you judge one of my other children as unworthy of love, you are really saying that they are expendable, that their worth is dependent on what they do instead of who I am. God finished the conversation by saying, When you open the door to say that love should be conditional towards someone else, someone you have an offense against or are hurt by, then you unknowingly measure that same judgment back to yourself. Those words left Brian in awe and pondering the meaning they carried for the rest of his long drive that day. Now, you might be thinking, cool story, Rachel, but what does that mean? What does this have to do with identity? Forgiveness and Identity in Christ 
Identity comes into play in that if we see others as unworthy of love because of what they do, we subconsciously see ourselves the same way. On a barely perceivable level, we internalize that bad theology into our own hearts. We then project it over top and cover up the identity that Christ has given us. When we judge someone else as unworthy of love and forgiveness, we in turn are saying that we are unworthy of love and forgiveness as well. We see ourselves as unworthy because that's how we see others. The interesting thing here is that we allow this false mindset to roll in without even realizing it. Eventually, the unforgiveness that we show others is reflected back to our own hearts and a sense of unworthiness settles in. This subtle belief of our unworthiness takes over and blocks our relationship with God. If intimacy with God is like basking in the sun, then this hidden belief that we are not worthy of His love and forgiveness are the clouds that roll in to block our connection with the source of life. Unforgiveness towards others allow this underlying belief of our own unworthiness to settle in into the back of our minds, creating overcast skies. The simple truth is that we either believe that God's love and forgiveness is unconditional to all of His children, or none of them. And that includes how we see ourselves. We sometimes don't even know that this belief is there, but it shows up when we choose not to forgive others. We withhold our forgiveness from others, thinking that they are not worthy of it. And our mind internalizes the belief that love and forgiveness are earned. Suddenly, our perspective shifts to us seeing ourselves this way too. We don't realize that this is what holding on to unforgiveness has done to our identity in Christ, but it shows the true condition of our hearts. In this way, forgiveness is more about our own healing than about what other people have done to us. By holding on to unforgiveness, we do not get back at the target of our malice, but instead we wound our own hearts. We distort our own identity in our choice to hold grudges. Living a life of forgiveness is one of the ways that our identity in Christ is expressed. God responds to us with compassion and forgiveness even though we don't deserve it. And when we come face to face with that great compassion and forgiveness, it changes us on a fundamental level. When we live out of that reality, we take on that forgiving characteristic ourselves. When our hearts are truly touched and changed by the relationship we have with the forgiver, we also become a forgiver as part of our new identity in Him. But when we hold things against other people instead of forgiving them, it goes against the very nature of who God is. It goes against the face of who we are made to reflect. Since we are made in the image of God, we are meant to reflect His character. 
When we choose to hold on to unforgiveness, we go against God's kind and merciful nature. When we choose to take on unforgiveness, we disregard the identity we are supposed to live out and instead pick up an identity of bitterness and pain, which leads us to identifying as a victim. Taking a pause. This is only part one of this topic. I want to allow us time to breathe and process this heavy portion of my story, so I've broken it up into two separate chapters. I want to give the Holy Spirit plenty of room to work and move in our lives. Also, I realize that this chapter could have some content that triggers past trauma, so I want to take care to not overwhelm you, dear listener. As we take this break before finishing up the topic of forgiveness, I want to encourage you to pray and meditate on how much God loves you and how much He has forgiven you of. Really internalize how God has called you worthy of His love and forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus. I also want you to think about what unforgiveness has done to how you see yourself. Have you been holding on to a grudge, and can you now see how that has affected your mindset? We will take a closer look at what unforgiveness does to our mindsets in the next chapter. But for now, I want to pray over you. Holy and Compassionate Father, thank you for your unending love and your forgiveness through Jesus. You have called us worthy of your love. Holy Spirit, teach us how to live out of that reality. Thank you for your forgiveness through Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Soften our hearts and help us to forgive others for how they have harmed us. Bring us to a point where we can choose forgiveness and live out of the freedom you purchased for us. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Resources For today's resource, I've linked to my friend Brian's original devotional on unforgiveness. The idea that unforgiveness changes how we see ourselves and brings us back to identity has been so incredible for me to dig into, so I really encourage you to go watch him explain it. Thank you for joining me for Chapter 4. This has only been Part 1 of my experience with abuse and unforgiveness, so in order to keep my story flowing, I am excited to announce that we will release the next episode of the bookcast right after this one. You won't have to wait another week in order to hear the end of this portion of my story. We will release Chapter 5 tomorrow, so come back tomorrow ready for Round 2. Until then... I pray that you have a blessed day in Jesus.